It's great to be with you again. It's always a privilege and a pleasure to worship God in this space with each of you. Uh, We've been, over the last several weeks, working our way through the letter of James. Uh, The title of the series has been Be Like Your Brother, because we believe that James was written by uh, Jesus' uh, brother, James. And so, don't you know, if your brother was James, or your brother was Jesus, that you heard on more than one occasion, why can't you be more like your brother Jesus? And so... What we find is that James wasn't always like his brother Jesus, but certainly after Jesus' death, resurrection, and ascension, James does become more like Jesus, and we find that that's reflected in the Scripture. Now, today's Scripture lesson was a really tough one. It's one of those, really, that I thought about just kind of skipping when we got to this one. It's a little uncomfortable, uncomfortable to preach, uncomfortable to hear. So why don't we just skip it, and then you can go on to the next thing. And next week is patience. And so uh, if you find yourself struggling to get through this sermon, then have some patience. And if you find that you don't have any patience, come back next Sunday, and we'll talk about patience. But This is just one of those stories that James, one of those passages that James felt like was essential to be included in his letter. And so even though it would be tempting to skip over it, uh, I think it's important for us to wrestle with it. Sometimes those texts that we really make us uncomfortable are the ones that we need to spend the most time with. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. Um, I think that this text was written for at least two reasons. Uh, One of the reasons why I think that James included this particular portion in his letter is because it was meant to be a a word of encouragement to poor people. A word of encouragement to poor people. I don't know if you know this, but unlike the church today where there are many of us that by the standards of the world would be considered very affluent people, wealthy people, the early church was primarily blue-collar folks. Now, there were some wealthy people in the church, don't get me wrong, and they're talked about in Scripture from time to time. But for the most part, the people in the early church were blue-collar. They were poor. Uh, They were struggling. Uh, They were considered maybe the outcasts. They were on the margins of society. Uh, They were people who were really, really struggling. And because of their position in the community and their position in life, uh, they uh, found this faith in Jesus. But, but what began to happen is, is they began to be oppressed by people who did have more. And, and these people began to oppress them and to be critical of them and to be hard on them. And so many people in the early church that were poor, blue-collar people began to really wonder uh, because they were being oppressed, not in spite of their faith, but because of their faith, they began to wrestle with, do I just give up? This is hard. It's tough to be a Christian. And, and when I'm being persecuted and oppressed because of my newfound faith, maybe I'll just walk away and, and do something else. And so I think that what James here is trying to offer a word of encouragement to some people who are thinking about just throwing in the towel and throwing and walking away. Now, it might not be easily recognizable that that's what's happening here because James begins the passage today with some really difficult words. 
But what many scholars think was going on here is that James is not talking to his audience that he's writing to here, the blue-collar folks, the, the poor folks, the people that are being oppressed because of their faith, that what James is actually doing is using a rhetorical device that the Greeks called the apostrophe. The apostrophe. Now, it's not the apostrophe that most of us think about when you're showing possession, Tommy's car, uh, your pew. Um, it's not that kind of an apostrophe. This apostrophe is in the Greek terminology is when you're having a conversation with somebody and then all of a sudden you pause and you look out and you address someone or something that's not there. Uh, so you're no longer talking to the people that are on the stage with you. You're talking to someone else. You see this a lot in Shakespeare. If you've ever read any Shakespeare, the dialogue is taking place on the stage and then all of a sudden the actor will turn and offer a word to someone or something in the public that's really not meant for the person on the stage to hear. Uh, but they do hear it and they are supposed to gain something from it, but it's not really directed right at them. And so that's what we believe is happening here, that James is trying to offer a word of encouragement to these poor people. And in order to make that happen, he pauses and he looks out and he addresses everyone else. And what he's doing is he's trying to encourage the poor people by saying, I know that it's tough. I know that you're being persecuted I know that you don't have a lot of the other things that these people out here have. But guess what? One day you will. Justice will be served. So hang on. Hold on. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't walk away from the faith. Because these people that you think have everything, they really don't have anything. The clothes that they wear are going to rot and and rust is going to take care of their money and and all of the stuff that they think that they have one day will be taken away from them but what you have cannot be taken away from them now if that's what james is doing here then he's really not speaking to the rich to the poor people he's speaking a word to the rich people and he's saying to them one day you're going to weep and you're going to wail. It's not going to end well for you. You're putting stock in all the wrong things. These people have it right and you have it wrong. Notice that what John, uh, James doesn't say, he doesn't say, rich people, please repent and come back. Instead, he offers a word, you are going to weep. And you are going to wail. It's not going to end well for you. Now, I've been saying all along that as we're reading this passage in James every week, that you probably can begin to hear some of the words of Jesus. And you might be saying, wow, this sounds really harsh. I don't know that Jesus would have said this. I don't know where James is getting this. This sounds more like one of those Old Testament prophets than it does a first century preacher. It sounds more like it could be Jeremiah talking that he's quoting instead of Jesus. But I want to suggest to you that, no, that's probably not the case 
if what James is doing is using that apostrophe here, then what he's saying to those poor is to hang on and hold on. And Jesus said words just like that. Do you remember when Jesus said these words? They're found in Luke uh, chapter 6. If I can find it. Blessed are you who are poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now. For you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now. For you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and when they defame you on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for surely your reward will be great in heaven. If James is using the apostrophe rhetorical device, it sounds like he's doing exactly and teaching exactly what Jesus said. Is, is, is Jesus or James blessing poverty? No. They're blessing people in poverty. They're saying to the people, you may think you don't have anything. You may be struggling to make ends meet. But one day you will be blessed because you're depending upon the things that add true value and true sustenance to life. All of the other stuff that people are putting their faith and their trust in one day will all go away. But when you're poor and when you realize that the only thing on which you can depend is God. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Jesus, when he preached his first sermon at First Church Nazareth, the synagogue, he stood up. And what did he do? He quoted from Isaiah and he said, I have come. To proclaim good news to the captives. To liberate those who've been oppressed. That's what Jesus wanted us to hear. Well, The second thing I think that James is doing here. Besides offering an encouragement to those of us who may not feel like we have what other people in the world possess. He's trying to encourage us to say, hold on, you're going to be fine, you're going to be fine. But the second thing I think James is doing is that he's offering a stern warning to the affluent. To those of us who don't place our true and utter dependence upon God. If you go back to that text again in Luke chapter 6, this is what Jesus had to say to everyone else. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, For one day you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now. For one day you will reap. Mourn and weep. Woe to you. Woe to you. So he's offering a stern warning to those who are well fed. He's not saying that money itself is evil. What he's saying is what we read elsewhere in scripture. Is that money is often if not always at the root of all evil. Because money makes us do some crazy things. Money makes us hoard things. Money makes us um, uh, 
self-indulge. Money makes us defraud or withhold things. And those are all things that James is talking about in that apostrophe when he's reaching out and he's speaking a word to those rich people. And that too sounds an awful lot like Jesus. There's a story about rich man and the Lazarus. It's a parable. It's the only parable in the scripture where Jesus actually names one of the characters inside the story. In every other parable, Jesus never gives anybody a name. In this particular parable, Jesus does give someone a name. Problem is, Jesus doesn't give the right person the name. You know... We live in a world about it's who you know, right? It's who you know. And so you'd think that Jesus would give the name to the wealthy guy. But Jesus doesn't name the wealthy guy at all. Jesus names the poor man. It's a story about a wealthy man that uh, ignores the cries of the needy and the hungry. And then there's this poor man that's begging at the gates. And life is so tough and so hard. Well, What happens to all of us? We die. Both of them die. And all of a sudden, the poor man who never seemed to get a break is within the bosom of Abraham. And the guy who had it all on that side of eternity finds himself on the outside looking in. And the guy who was so desperately seeking to be heard, has obviously been heard now. The wealthy person that never heard anybody is now crying out for help. And he's not getting any help whatsoever. James is warning us about what it means to put our stock in ourselves and in our money. There are other stories, you know, Jesus talking about in Matthew 25 that it really does matter what we do with a cup of coffee, what we do with an extra shirt, what we do with some extra food, what we do to the people that are in prison and in sick, that that really does make a difference. And in fact, it's, it, it plays into our eternal destiny. And so Jesus is clear and James is clear. That money can really get us into trouble. So I don't know where you are this morning as you hear this text and this sermon. Maybe you're one of those people that's really struggling. Maybe you look at what other people have and you say, gosh, if I just had a better paying job or a little more money or a nicer home or a more reliable car, you know, then then life would really be better. And what James wants to remind us is all of that stuff might make life better temporarily, but it is ultimately of little or no use at all. But those who don't have anything are in a prime position to place their utter dependence upon God. And what James is saying is, hang in there. Hang on. I know it's hard. I know you're being oppressed. I know it's hard to make ends meet. But one day, one day, you'll be fine. Or maybe 
Your money's controlling you. Maybe God has blessed you abundantly with riches beyond what you need. And yet you're hoarding it. Or you're defrauding other people of of it by withholding what God has given you from them. From the church. Maybe you're just spending it all on yourself. Carpe diem, seize the day. And what Jesus is saying, and what James is saying, I think, is I didn't do what I did for you so that you could be pampered physically. I did what I did for you so that you could be perfected spiritually. And when you rely on money to that degree, and when you hoard it, and you defraud it, and you self-indulge with it, are we really able to be truly dependent upon God then? Are we missing out on the blessing of being able to trust this one who came, who died, who rose again? There's something for all of us in this scripture today. But if you didn't get anything, be patient. We'll talk about that next week. Let's pray. God, you don't care that we have money. Your concern is that when money has us. When it prevents us from being able to share. To bless others with it. To bless the church and the world with it. That's when you have a concern. And there are others of us that don't even know how we're going to put food on the table this week. And we're living paycheck to paycheck. We've cried out to you in prayer over and over again, but the bank account never increases. And maybe we just feel like giving up and walking away. And the word we'd hear from James today is hang in there. Hang on. Justice will come one day. And you will receive a reward far greater than anything you might have received on this side of eternity. Lord, in whatever way this passage needs to speak to each of us today, may it be so. Amen.